Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hi everyone, I'm your host Chris Sands. Today I am joined by Stu Cousins and Zach Porter from Schilling Beer Company. Stu is one of the co-founders and CEO, and Zach is the newly minted director of sales and marketing. Congratulations on your uh, promotion that uh, I learned from stalking you on, I think, LinkedIn. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. And Stu, you you were new to your position also, correct? This is true. So also congratulations to you. Cheers. So let's um, let's just let's start out with when I don't know what the where the name came from. I like to just start there. So let's start where where did the name Schilling Beer Company come from? Sure. So Schilling is a family name. It's my middle name. It's also the name of my grandfather, Dr. R.J. Schilling, and. When we were trying to think of the name, it was a no-brainer. Um, my grandfather's a wonderful man and very generous and just a great guy to be around. And uh, we wanted to uh, uh, have a business that kind of embodied some of his values. So there's that. And it just so happens that you know, Schilling is Germanic. So it fits with the styles of beers that we love and that we produce. And then... John Lanzini, uh, who is also my business partner and our founding brewer. He still helps us out with the recipes. Um, he lived in Salzburg, Austria for the better part of a decade. And he also was in Germany for another year. So he fell in love with those styles. And it also doesn't hurt that Schilling was the currency in Austria before, uh, before the Euro. So it was a no brainer. It just, it just fit. You kind of pr- you probably didn't have much of a back and forth debate or like a real think tank session to come up with with the name. It was just probably thrown out and like, yeah, let's go with that. Yep, yep, that's exactly right. So we're we're happy with it. We've never once regretted having the name Schilling. I um I was really close to my grandfather, so I, I love that story. And if I ever had some sort of business, I don't think I'd use his last name though because it's Godleski. It doesn't quite roll off the tongue for most people. And I think no matter what, I would have to explain to people how to spell it. So I don't get to ever have that tribute to them. I don't know. I kind of like that last name, Chris. Oh, I mean, I I think the last name's awesome. It just takes up a lot of space. And there's always, no matter how like purposely you pronounce it, it needs to be spelled out. Fair so enough. If, I feel like it would, although there would probably be no domains or social media handles taken. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that on a beer label, though. Yeah. Um, so next up, why don't we get um, the history of what was going on before Schilling was founded and how what was your path into craft beer? Well, that's a great question, and uh, it's a very convoluted question. I could probably answer it better after, uh, you know, three Pilsners with you and <laughs> about three hours. So I'll try and, uh, and give you the short version. Um, so 
the as far as owning a business with my brothers and being involved in the beer industry and even brewing, that's been something that's in, that has been in Jeff, my eldest brother, and John Lanzini's mind since they were in high school. And, um, or I should say college. I don't know if I'm supposed to say high school, but whatever. Um, <laughs> and then... Statute of limitations. It, correct. And uh, they, uh, John has been brewing in these ugly yellow buckets in college, and they were, you know, fairly terrible brews. Um, but as he got his degree in chemistry, and then he and Jeff spent a lot of time in Europe, and they fell in love with the beer scene over there back in the, uh, in the early and late 90s. Um, and then when Jeff moved to northern New Hampshire, he could commute to D.C. where he was working prior um, and live in a town that somewhat resembled the town that we grew up in in northern Michigan. And he wanted a place where he could raise his family and similar values and have some real people in the, in the community. And then John Lanzini soon followed after a stint in Austria and he was teaching at a, an academy right across the river in Vermont. And then I had a little stint in the summer of 2007 up here and connected with those guys. And lo and behold, John started home, picked up the home brewing bug again and was making some pretty, pretty awesome batches of beer, if I do say so. Uh, enough to the point where on one of our fishing trips um, up near the border of Canada, he, we were like, John, I think this is it, man. I, I think people would pay money for this. And this is beer that we love. And I don't think a lot of people are doing this. So let's, let, let's do something that we love. So that was, the, that was the short answer of the path to getting into the, the beer <laughs> world. So how um, is it your, bro- uh, your brothers and John that are the founders or is there anyone else involved? It's, it's truly a, a, a family run business. So okay. it's uh, you know, my, my father's involved. He's a silent partner. And, um, and then I've got two older brothers, Matt, who is also in the, in the beer industry on the retail side and uh, Traverse city, Michigan and Grand Rapids, Michigan. And then Jeff, uh, obviously who's here and, uh, and John Lanzini, who was here and John Lanzini, um, I've known him since I was two, and I think he spent more time at our house than his own. So he is basically a brother. So I was, I was going to say, how um, how did you guys meet John? But I'm guessing he was just there. I, I think it was a, <laughs> yeah, I think it was a, a seventh grade football practice for Jeff and John. That's how they met. Okay. So at least for you, he was just there. So wow. it was it was like meeting a brother. <laughs> he really is the he is the fourth brother. There's no question. So had um, you and your brothers been into craft beer before John's passion grew or was he the kind of like the um, the guy that drug you into it? <laughs> um, John definitely was a driver, but so was Jeff. Honestly, all of them were. And I'm 10 years younger uh, than both of those guys. So. I have the memories on Christmas morning of seeing uh, the the old Sam Adams winter mixer pack. Um, yeah, back when they had cranberry lambic in there. If you, I don't know if you remember that. Or oh, not. I but, do. Yeah, uh, and that was that was awesome. And uh, so it really craft beer has been a, a staple in my house um, growing up. There's a um, a, a, like a Instagram real trend I've seen lately 
that they it's like most of them start with saying like what happens when your parents suddenly have a a, a kid 10 years later or something <laughs> and it, most of them are um like lip syncing hey do you want a beer and then someone yelling at him he's four that <laughs> <laughs> just made me think of that <laughs> zach you might have more uh I, I, the social media thing and me don't mix real well i'm probably <laughs> the bane of zach's existence since he's the one in charge of all of our uh, our social media platforms among many other things so he doesn't he doesn't let me touch the, the those computers you already saw how much trouble i had logging into this program <laughs> Yeah, we, we we try and keep Stu away from that stuff wisely. That um, that's that seems to be a semi-common thing, at least for one or two of the founders of most breweries. There's like the one guy that they just stay away from anything technology-wise and do what you're here to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, someone's got to do the real work instead of just looking pretty, right, Zach? <laughs> something like that. Something like that. <laughs> so, well, um. Before before you uh, joined in Schilling, what were you doing? I was actually uh, I was actually in Scotland, and I was uh, working on a PhD towards theological ethics. Yep, and so, then I I realized that I, I am way out of my depth, and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I I needed to come back and do the beer thing, so. Um, I, th- yep. I think that's definitely one of the um, more unique roads to uh, founding a brewery. It, like, it, it was a, it was not a, a straight line between here and there. I'll say that. Yeah, there's so many other like the common ones seem to be like finance, uh, some sort of engineering or technology. Like those are the those seem to be the three main previous professions that people just wanted to get out of. <laughs> so. It, absolutely um, so when actually let's take a real quick sponsor break um and when we get back let's talk about um you've mentioned styles of beer that shilling focuses on so that's uh for anyone who's not familiar with shilling let's talk about that a little bit great so we will be right back uncapped is brought to you by one of frederick's original maryland craft beer destinations located off of urbana pike featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts, Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, or one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. Stu, so you alluded to this a little bit already, um, talking about 
John's time in uh, Germany and Australia, uh, Austria, not Australia, <laughs> um, very different area. Uh, so uh, being a big influence on what Schilling is today. So I, I think that kind of answers the question of what is the focus of uh, Schilling beer? Yeah, you want me to take this one, Stu? Do it, man. <clears throat> yeah, so at least um, since I've been here, Chris, and this was a main thing that really um, attracted me to Schilling was was the beer styles and, and really what they're doing up here. So it's all <clears throat> continental, European-style style beers and um, predominantly lagers. Um, we have a huge focus on lagers, and we, we also have a huge passion of, of keeping things traditional and paying homage to, to those original beer styles, but also being progressive and, and really trying to push the envelope with new things that we can do in, with, with those beers and, and those styles. So, um, you know, we have a range of different <clears throat> lagers that we make, um, some, some Belgians as well, and some European-style ales too. Um, we kind of have a side project um, called Resilience, which is pretty much the umbrella for our American ales and, and our hoppy beers more or less. Um, but our heart and our passion is, is always on the lagers. And I guess, Stu, you could maybe provide a little more history on that. Um, but I think that's really what, what stemmed from, from John's original passion. And, and, you know, I think all of our love for being in Europe and, and drinking those beers. There, there's one word, um, and I'm sure I know why you're not using it, but that you keep forgetting to use uh, whenever you talk about your beer. And it's perfectly, actually two words, perfectly crafted. Uh, because your loggers are just simply amazing. It, thank you, Chris. Um, but the reality is that it's never perfect. And even though we strive to be a world-class brewery and a world-class business, it's one of our values. Um, we always know that, that we can get better. We always know that there's little tweaks to the beer. We've got an amazing, amazing brew staff and leaders. We've got, Ryan Murphy, who's our lead brewer, Justin Slotnick, who's our production manager and also the brewer. And you got John LaPointe, and he's our curator and warehouse manager. And these guys, along with Zach and I, um, are talking about the styles all the time and how they can improve. And those, those, those gentlemen have done remarkable, constantly tweaking recipes here and there. So it's never perfect. I'm going to have to, we're going to have to agree to disagree uh, because uh, at least by my palate, Alexander is the absolute perfect Czech Pilsner. And I, I mean, I'll probably fight you over it if we need to. <laughs> yeah, I'm wrestling match. Come on, let's do it. <laughs> a, big part of that, a big part of that too. And like Stu was saying with our, with our leadership here is focus on ingredients. Um, really where we're sourcing everything and getting stuff from, you know, across the pond or, ingredients that would be used in these traditional style lagers so we we put a huge focus on what we're putting into the beer and also just more or less listening to the beer you know when it's ready um we don't force anything we don't rush anything and we take a lot of pride in the craft so um we, we appreciate those comments man because that's that's really our passions in that sense i mean like that's why i wanted to talk to you guys so much well one like getting to meet and hang out with you guys. Uh, you were awesome. But also I've spent a lot of time surrounded by every other like hype style of beer, just drinking shilling lagers. Cause they are so absolutely delicious. 
Yeah, we had we had a uh, you you visited the booth quite a few times down when we were at the Uzol Sour Fest. So I You're did, the and then I did, which is awesome. Then then I did it again <laughs> at the uh, at the FML Festival, <laughs> um, and and any other festival I'm at that, and the upcoming Kushwa uh, one, I I. I boldly predict that I will spend a lot of time drinking shilling lagers. <laughs> well, great. Let us know how they are. Yeah, which, sure. w- I mean, which I think is a huge testament because all of those brewery, all those festivals have a lineup of the top breweries in the country. And, and it's, you guys are just amazing yeah we appreciate i'll stop fan i'll stop fanboying now no, we, we appreciate <laughs> it man it's super humbling and you know at the end of the day we're just making the beers that we love um you know i think we all have a connection with traveling in europe and falling in love with these styles and sitting around with family and friends and being able to crush you know whether it's two or three liters you know mugs worth of worth of pills whatever it might be um we we love those beers and we love sharing them and, and socializing amongst them so it's really just what we enjoy so does that um, does that ever pigeonhole you into the type of beers that you make, or is it free reign if someone on the brew brew team or even an employee comes to you with an idea that kind of fits outside of the ethos of shilling? Uh, do you not make it, or do you spread your wings further? Yeah, no, great question. Uh, We don't feel pigeonholed because we started brewing the beers that we love to drink, and we still brew the beers that we love to drink. We produce a lot of different styles, even though nine times out of ten, I'm reaching for a lager. Um, But I think that's also built into some of our, our passion for being progressive and leading and not following is also allowing your these talented artisans, these brewers the opportunity to explore passion projects and so maybe a little known fact but we've got a we've got a wild room dedicated to spontaneous and mixed culture beers we've got a barrel program a clean barrel program with some barley wine and some uh, different kind of barrels and some stouts up there and they're smaller batches but it's a lot of fun and so we we never want to take that creativity away and we're, we're constantly either reimagining a traditional style or sticking to a traditional style to the T, our interpretation of it. Um, but yeah, we, I don't feel pigeonholed. Zach, do you feel pigeonholed? <laughs> Only sitting in this office, though. <laughs> no, um, ex- ex- exactly what you said. And I think that's the thing that people don't really know much about is we do so many different styles. Like our portfolio is very diverse. Obviously, we're known for our loggers. And I think some of our bigger batch loggers are get more widely distributed. Um, but like Stu was saying, man, we those passion projects are huge for us. And a lot of those beers we keep on site only. And you can only buy them at the brewery. So like our barrel-aged stouts are like our spawn beers. Um, you know, our team really looks forward to doing that every year. That's something that we really love not only to make but to see the final outcome. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. And that's a struggle of uh, – you know, going through the process, but at the end of the day, when you get to finally drink those beers and enjoy, man, it's just epic. It's just can't really explain. Um, what's what's your favorite type of barrel to uh, consume beer from? Depends on the beer. 
definitely depends on the style of beer. But yeah, I'll tell you this: we have um, we have a stout right now sitting in maple bourbon barrels, um, and it's tasting that amazing. Nice. And, and being winter up here in the North Country with the temperatures, it's uh, definitely hitting the spot and warms you up, warms you up pretty quick. So I'm looking forward to when we drop that beer. Did you ever watch the documentary about the uh, great maple syrup heist in, um, I can't remember, whatever, there's an area of uh, Canada that has like a tightly controlled maple market. And it was like mil- millions of dollars in barrels of maple syrup that were stolen from a warehouse. Wow. That's amazing. No, it, I have it, not. You have to get I highly recommend watching it because as boring as it sounds, it's actually ridiculously <clears throat> interesting. Like just ha- like it's almost like they're talking about OPEC. <laughs> <laughs> like I think I actually I think they even like make the the connection that like they're like the OPEC of maple syrup. No, I, I, I get it. I, I didn't. <laughs> Michigan had its maple syrup and they've got their maple trees. But moving out here. Maple syrup's in a different category in the Vermont yeah. and New Hampshire being so close to Canada. Mm-hmm. It's a it, it's a commodity. And a lot of uh, people, instead of homebrewing, just they uh, they do their own uh, maple syrup and tap their own trees. Mm-hmm. It's legit. My grandfather used to make maple syrup, too. It was awesome. But, yeah, apparently they really take it serious in Canada, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> I um I love rum barrel. I'm not, like, I'm not a huge rum drinker, mm-hmm. but it just seemed like... A, a good stout that comes out of a rum barrel is so good. Nice, I'm uh, I'm partial to the uh, to to stuff that's coming out of rye barrels. Uh, we've got a really cool distillery uh, up up here in northern New Hampshire called Tamworth, and we've got some of our stouts resting in different iterations of either their rye or their uh, their bourbon barrels, and those are mighty fine. You know, at one time Maryland was the um, where almost. The, the vast majority of rye whiskey came from really that's what yeah it's what maryland was known for wow i thought they were known for the uh old bay spice uh, <laughs> that too uh that came a little bit later <laughs> but uh pre pre-prohibition uh maryland rye whiskey was a big that's thing that's cool i would have never thought that no i've got one of my best friends uh lives in Maryland and just puts old Bay on everything. Like he'll travel up here and he'll just bust it out of his bag. Like he's carried it over himself. We're kind of, we're kind of, kind of required to like, I think it's Thanks. once you've been here like five years, you get issued <laughs> a container of old Bay. <laughs> and then just hold the... <laughs> That's awesome. It's good though. It's good stuff, especially the spicy version of it. Have you ever had the hot version? No, it is good, man. It is it's... good. Sounds incredible. Then they then they came out with a hot sauce, also good. If they send us some of that, I, if I can find, I wonder if they still make it. I'll have to we'll, look. If they we'll, do, we'll I'll send we'll you trade some. with you, Chris. A little beer for some hot sauce and, and spices. I'll I will gladly send you some Old Bay for because we have it in abundance here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's take um another real quick uh sponsor break and let's talk about uh shilling over the years and looking forward what it looks like we will be right back i buy my beer at district east in downtown frederick maryland they have an amazing selection of local and hard to find beers and i love the option of making my own mix and match custom six pack 
District East is on Northeast Street in Frederick in the same shopping center as Showroom Restaurant and Rockwell Brewery. Most weeks they have over 950 beers in stock. Check out this week's selection at www.districteastbeer.com. To all you craft breweries, wineries, and distilleries out there, listen up. Atlantic Custom Solutions is the real deal in providing you branded growlers, ceramics, glassware, and accessories like koozies, coasters, and keychains. Their high-definition digital printing, organic ink, and low-fire process ensures your brand is printed in ultra-high definition, giving you a one-up on the competition. We've used Atlantic Custom Solutions for uncapped branded glassware and couldn't be happier with it. Check them out. Visit www.brandmybeverage.com or give them a call at 434-286-4500 to learn more about how they can help you brand your business. McClintock Distilling is Maryland's first and only certified organic distillery, handcrafting gins, whiskeys, vodkas, and cordials from non-GMO organic ingredients in downtown Frederick. Named the best vodka distillery in the country by USA Today, best gin in the world at the International Spirits Competition, and double gold at the World Spirits Competition for bourbon, rye, and gin. Open now for tours, tastings, and classes. Come sample the most awarded distillery in Frederick today. So um, when Schilling opened, it was a it was a brew pub, correct? It was a brew pub. You are correct. Yes, I remembered something correctly. Um, what uh, what kind? Uh, so I'm assuming you opened with a fairly small system. Yes, much to the chagrin of John Lanzini. Yes. <laughs> what how what what uh, what size were you working with back then? Yeah, so we uh, we actually had it was an electric system, and it was a two and a half by two and a half, so it was total five barrels. Yep, and it was uh, right behind the bar in a really old 18th century grist mill, and so uh, the the history has it that there's always been a milling occupant in there, and we were no different because we gravity fed uh, the grain, cut a hole in the floor, and. Uh, and poured the grain down the chute and in the, in the hopper and away we went. So it started with that, that, that five barrel system. And what did, so how, um, how long did Schilling operate just as that original brew pub? As the original brew pub, we operated, well, we, it's still an operation as a, as a restaurant with very minimal, um, brewing in it, uh, currently, uh, but it operated as the sole beer producer until tw- end of 20, middle 2017, something like that. It gets a little blurry. <laughs> <laughs> I can barely remember last month, so I'm not going to, uh, <laughs> say anything about, uh, what I, I can't, like, I can't even do the math of how long ago that was. <laughs> Um, yeah, cause at this point you kind of operate a beer compound, right? It, it, it kind of is. Yeah. So in, in 2016, we ended up, um, purchasing the property, uh, directly adjacent to the brew pub and it had two old, old dilapidated buildings. Uh, it was actually falling into the river and it got condemned by the fire department. So we got cleared hot to take that thing down as part of the protection of the river and to uh, put up our our new facility so that was in uh, yep started breaking ground in that 2016 and completed 2017 
and that's the um that's the black building right that is the black building yep and the the red building with the awesome water wheel that's the original brew pub yes yes sir you got it which is i mean that's a seems to be a, a fairly large building also yeah it's a it's 7500 square feet um it's you know, for, for, for us as the, those operating in it, there's never enough room. Um, any brewers yeah. listening can appreciate that. Um, but no, we're very fortunate that we were able to, able to put a, a custom five vessel brew house in there. So we're, we're, it's a bit of an upgrade from the, uh, two and a half by two and a half electric rim system that we were basically home brewing on. Yes. <laughs> uh so so what size is the new system so the new system is 20 barrels um and and you know we knowing the kind of beers that we love to make we wanted to make sure we did it right and uh we partnered with uh horse dornbush who's uh a beer consultant and uh he's german german fellow um and he i never would have guessed that (laughs) never nope not with that (laughs) name um i actually funny story um, Zach is cringing as I, as I go, <laughs> as I delve into a, a deep story, but this is a great, um, you know, uh, public interest story, Zach. It's okay. So, so Horst who had been helping us design, um, the geometry of these tanks, um, uh, NSI built them before, uh, before they were purchased by DME and he came in one time and I got his name backwards. So instead of calling him Horst Dornbush, I called him Dorst Hornbush. <laughs> I have not been able to live that down. <laughs> and now we have a beer named after him called Dorst. Nice. <laughs> yep. So it's one of the, it's a, the, uh, it's a Pilsner with some Alsatian hops. And he actually brewed the first batch of it, came and brewed it with us a few years That's ago. Awesome. We were established. I yep. That. That's cool. I mean, to your offense, Either way sounds completely like a name. Right, right. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, you could just introduce two different people with both names, and I'd be like, "Yeah, that that sounds right." <laughs> True. Um, what uh, what size fermenters do you work with? So right now we've got we've got tens, twenties, and forties. Um, we just replaced our ten barrel fooder with a twenty barrel fooder as uh, the first installment of our um, small expansion. And we've got some, uh, some 60 barrel tanks on the way. Um, I know one beer is the absolutely delicious modernism Mm. gets put into Mm -hmm. that fooder, Mm -hmm. uh, which I was going to crack open to drink while we were talking, but I need to, a bunch of stuff I need to do this afternoon. So I didn't want to start drinking at noon Uh or at 2 p.m. Actually it's two. I should be, should have started um but uh what other uh types of beer are you putting into the fooders yeah so we do um a couple different things obviously Stu touched on our wild room we have a number of fooders down there so we actually have a couple of 30 barrel um barolo italian fooders down there for some of our mixed firm stuff and we just put our um 10 barrel um american fooder crafters to one down there as well our our, our clean fooder our new 20 barrel we do only lagers in that. And that's kind of, you know, we're touching on being progressive or whatnot. That's really our food or lager program. So we'll do a range of different beers in there. Um, we really like doing some of the bigger beers. The first one we did in there was a Doppelbach indicator, which came out um, just lovely. 
But let me know how you like that that food or modernism. That was actually one of my favorites was that Czech dark lager. And uh, you get some of that, you know, those vanilla notes and the oak tannins. And it's just it's just a nice touch. But we've done we've done a range of different things. I think uh, I don't know if we'd shy away from anything, but we're really trying to kind of um, experiment with some of putting putting some lagers in there and kind of just play around and kind of let our brewers run with it and see, see where their passions take it with that thing. I drank a bunch of it at at FML. Oh, nice! It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Ever, uh, we all uh, there were several of us that banded together to try to quickly kick your first keg <laughs> so that we could get more some modernism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've done we've done the modernism. We did a Schwartz beer. Um, we've done the Doppelbach. We did another Bach. We did fest beer. Yep, we did a fest beer. Yep. So pretty good range. Do you do you know? And it's possible that um, that I should find that you might not. Do Do you ever have to resurface the inside of fooders, or do you just let it gather uh, at the gather everything over time? No, there's certain cleaning techniques. It's definitely a little different, obviously, than stainless. Um, but we we got some. Uh, pretty decent help from our, from our buddies over at threes. Um, good friends of ours in New York who have been actually doing this for a really long time. So we, 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 you do clean it after every beer. You wouldn't just leave it in there and, and toss another beer in there. Um, so you definitely clean it out, but it, it's, it's different. You can't just throw a bunch of chemicals in the Oak cause it can, you know, actually yeah. ruin the wood. No, the brewers, the brewers know what they're doing as far as the, the different uh, kind of treatments to it, but it's, it's, a, it's a much gentler clean. That's yeah, I just I'd never thought of it before, but for some reason it popped into my mind. Like I one time when I was touring Dogfish Head, they were talking about how hard it is for them to um, redo the inside of the Palo Alto, or yep. I probably pronounced that wrong, <laughs> but the their tent, their fooder that's made out of that super hard wood yeah. and it like takes diamond tips yeah, something or others to resurface <laughs> the inside of it some of those older fooders too it's stuff like the, our, our italian fooders are definitely the oak the, the it, it's different it's different um but we've learned we learned pretty quick with the one that we're doing lagers in um we actually just condition our beers in those fooders now so they really get some of that oak character because the volume capacity on those is extremely tight we fermented in there i think the first time and it was so tight that uh, we discovered pretty, pretty quickly that we just wanted to condition and, and get some of the character. So we, we changed it up after that. The um, It seems like American f- f- what, Food or Crafter? No. Yep. What, yep. Is that the right name? Mm-hmm. Yep. That company has got to be just taking off because I feel like everyone I talk to has either just received yep. – put in an order or like has plans to order fooders from them. Yeah. Those guys crush. They're out of St. Louis and their attention to detail and, and the work they put in their craft is unmatched. They, they, yeah. they drove the fooder out from St. Louis to Littleton, New Hampshire um, to install it and ensure and, and make sure it was exactly what we wanted. So we, we love those guys and have a great respect for what they do. Yeah, I've never heard anyone have even the slightest criticism of their product. And they're beautiful, too. They they even put the effort in to make them look attractive. And they are. They're, they're, they're gorgeous. 
And, uh, you know, down the road, I look forward to having some more. <laughs> uh, do you have um, any punch-ins or uh, just regular barrels too, or just, are you just using fooders? Yeah, no, we, we, we do have, uh, we do have, um, some punchins actually they're, they're hundred year old, uh, Spanish oh. oak, uh, sherry punchins. And we have some of our, our mixed cultures and our spawn, um, hanging out in there doing their thing. Uh, we've got, um, we've got, like I said, the barrels, um, other barrels in the clean or excuse me, uh, in the mixed firm. And we have those that are resting with the stouts and the barley wine. Yep. Are, um, are those put out as in bottles or do you can those too? No, definitely, definitely bottles. So all the, um, special releases that come out of wood go into bottles. Yeah. It's funny how, like as the, the evolving of, uh, beer serving vessels change, like where, my mind automatically goes to what should be in what sure like yeah you, know, you go pre like probably six seven years ago only good beer was in bottles yeah it was blasphemy unless you were drinking uh oscar blues beer to have it in a can and then now it's like if it's not in a can it's not good <laughs> unless it's a limited release or something from a barrel then it shouldn't be in a bottle which i mean it shouldn't be in a can it needs to be in a bottle to be good <laughs> Yeah, no, and it's it's also one of those things for us where, um, you know, with lagers being such a clean beer, you don't have a lot of you don't have a lot to hide behind if you have flaws in the beer. So if any of that microflora from the wild room uh, got in the canning line, um, I'm I'm sure there are people that make mixed firm lagers or whatever, but we 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 don't do that, and uh, I don't yeah, think people would appreciate a, a tart fest beer. <laughs> those aren't the flavor profiles you're looking for nah. Nah. <laughs> yeah i actually i didn't even think of it from that standpoint where you wouldn't want to take the chance of anything sticking around after cleaning it and then yeah i mean i know i know some breweries are able to do that and and they can they've got some their mixed firm is right next to their their loggers and their ipas and such um but for me that's just terrifying so it's uh, for us that's a little bit too big of a risk that we that yeah. we just don't want to take that. No thanks. Well, that's I mean, if you if you have the space and you have the equipment to be able to separate, why why add that added stress and pressure of the possibility? Mm-hmm. Yep. Because I think I can't remember who it was, but there's someone that recently posted about pulling back a bunch of beer because they found out that they had cross contamination, and there was like a couple month period that. They, they put out a bunch of stuff that was contaminated. Oh, that's a bummer. That, that, that's a dagger to the heart. Yeah. You, I mean, and there's, there's always that risk. Um, yeah. you know, even just, even if no one has those wild beers uh, around just the, the wild micro microflora and fauna can come in. And so, uh, the team's done a really good job, uh, with, you know, Lindsay having his chemistry background and our, our brewers being consummate professionals. They, uh, I, I get the, uh, I get the eyebrow raise if I don't, you know, step on the, the quat mat, which is a, you know, a little, uh, sanitizer thing or whatever for my feet. I'm obviously a <laughs> chemist, as you can tell by my expansive vocabulary. Um, but yeah, that thing that makes my boots okay to walk in the, uh, into the uh, fermentation bay. Um, yeah. So it's, it, it, there's always that risk. 
Yeah, it's funny how there there seems to be those two two pools of thoughts with breweries. <clears throat> Some are adamant that there can be no uh everything has to be 100% separated. So, and if, if it's a, if we can do it in a building that's down the street, that's what we want to do. And then there are some that like, you just go into another room and that's where all their funky stuff lives. And they just make sure that they clean everything. Yep. I feel like I would want to live on the, let's keep it separated and not stress out about it. Sure. Um, so what it, we, we talked about the expansion into the other building. Um, there, there's other expansions, expansions that you guys have gone through too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Stu kind of touched on the history and and how we kind of grew into the building over here, the bigger production space. We are getting some 60 barrel tanks in. Um, we're also getting a couple additional 10 barrel horizontal tanks. Um, that'll be real focused on specialty logger projects that we want to do and collabs, other things like that. Um, and then we we kind of have a campus here where we have, we talked about the brew pub. We talked about the black building, which is not only our production facility, but also our store and tasting room. So any cans to go merch and, and kind of just drinking beers, you can hang out there. And then we also have a tan building <clears throat> next door to the brew pub that we're really looking to build out. Um, another kitchen area and kind of adapt our food truck to, to fit that space or some of the cuisine that we made to, to fit that space and also put a couple lukers in there and a draft system and kind of have that as a third place in the upstairs of that building actually connects to the upstairs of the red building. So we almost have a two floor, um, more or less bigger event space that'll kind of open things up and allow us to do some, some cooler things up there. So you know, it's pretty spread along the river, but we, we kind of have those three buildings and that, that more or less makes up the Schilling uh, beer campus. Um, how many side pull taps do you have? How many? We have, we have, we have two at our tasting room right now and the brew pub has four, six, six, six. Yep. Yep. And have you been sitting there wondering why everyone's making such a big deal about them now and why it took so long? You know, uh, we're just glad we have them. I'll just say that. Yeah. They're, uh, they're remarkable. Um, from what I understand, there is a huge wait time on them now because of the, the sudden rise in popularity of milk pours and side (laughs) pulls in general. Yeah, no, they're uh, they're they're a beautiful product. Um, I think Zach, you did a you did a social post kind of highlighting those um, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago or so. But yeah, I mean, we, we just, use them for all of our check beers. Any yeah. check logger we do go, goes on the side pool, so it's just something that you know pays. It's tradition of what what they do over there, so we want to emulate that. Yeah, and it's not just a, I um sorry, it's not just a showpiece either. It actually does something chemically to the beer and what i mean by that is with that that co2 breaking out of solution just so it just provides those like rounded edges um that you you can't get um from a a standard pour that's a i never imagined that it was as different as what it really is so i recently shot a video with Ben from four score about uh, side pools. Cause they just got a system that they installed. 
I haven't edited and uploaded it yet because I'm slow. Uh, but that was the first time I ever had one. And like it's almost bordering like a nitro beer than than closer than just like a regular draft pour. Yeah, it certainly can. And you have those the ability to kind of adjust how much CO2 breaks out and you can do it, you know, to the style that you're pouring, which I love. Yeah, that was another like actually, I mean, going into it, I didn't know hardly anything about them. So Ben gave me all my knowledge I have, which is still not a ton because I forget everything. Um, But it it was super interesting, like how much thought and I'm guessing because what they've been around for centuries or or at least decades. You can uh, can ask John the point. He's our uh, pro over. He's our tapster. And John even installed a uh, he put a lucre on our on our kind of little kegerator down in our staff area we could, do, uh, <laughs> nice. we could have side pulls after work hanging out hanging out with the production team so he, he got to is, talk to about that that is dedication it's it. <laughs> we, we, we we brew and present the beers the way that we would want to drink them case in point that's awesome yeah and they're just they're they're also beautiful faucets too they are they are <laughs> um so when when is that all going to take place the the tan building and everything you talk about or is that just gradually happening it's it's gradually happening um right i mean we've got you know different iterations of equipment that that have already arrived or you know getting shipped and which is always a challenge these days but um so I'm, i'm hoping that you know that comes on online um the first half of next year um and then as far as the, the the new tanks, we're hoping those that get, those get installed and put in service along the same time frame. So you, uh, Zach, while you were talking about all that, you had mentioned um, collaborations, which is something I find very interesting. Is that you guys make uh, focus heavily on the traditional styles. Um, but you also live in this world of the most popular breweries in the country that and go to all these festivals and do collaborations with all these breweries that mainly focus on hazies, heavily fruited sours, adjuncted stouts. Uh, how did you find yourself into that world also? Yeah, that's a good question, man. I think it's a, uh, I think it's a mix of just having a lot of different friends in the industry uh, amongst our team. And honestly, you know, we, we love and respect all of those beers and, you know, everyone who makes different styles and can do them really well or, you know, do their thing. And we love to work with those people in collab and you'll see at least, at least for me, because I think loggers are gaining a little bit more popularity or at least people want to make them even, even some of the hazy breweries are fruited sour guys kind of want to dabble in lagers and uh, we're always open to that and love doing that stuff. And, you know, we're never opposed to making a certain style beer. We don't do those heavily fruited sours or anything like that at our brewery. It's just not, not shilling. Um, but man, we, we love hosting people. We love hanging out with friends and any, any chance we get to collab and, and visit other breweries, we're always up for. So. And it's, I think I, we, we briefly mentioned it earlier, but uh, a large part of my listenership is in the Maryland, PA, Virginia area. A really good opportunity to try your beer will be on January 22nd 
at Kushwa because mm-hmm. uh, your beer won't be on tap at uh, their anniversary party, yep. which is one of these <clears throat> types of festivals that we were talking about where all the most sought after breweries in the country all get together and uh, for a, an opportunity for people to try everything in one place. And yeah, and we're, we're, we're honored, man, too. When people hit us up and, and want us to send beer down for a festival, you know, it's super humbling for us and it's something we want to do. We want to share our, ba- our, share our beer with as many people as we can. And when you do collabs and stuff with friends, it's another outlet to do that. Um, especially festivals. And, you know, I, I try and bug Stu to send me to as many festivals as possible, just because for me, the, the industry is all about the people, man. And I, I just love connecting with people and hanging out and sharing beer and talking beer and all that stuff. So any chance we can get shilling at a festival or, or get the invite, man, it's humbling and, and we love to do it. And it's um, like from the collaboration standpoint, one, I'm, I'm betting that a lot of those breweries are learning a ton about clean uh, brewing clean beer or clear beer from you guys. Uh, yeah, I think there's some intrigue on both sides, I think, too. Like I said, I think it starts with friendship and a shared passion for the beer. Um, right. Our production guys hang out all day. We'll usually, you know, we, we drink a number of beers, um, but we spend, <laughs> we spend a lot of time. Um, in that production space talking about things and not only them learning from us but us learning from them you know we get huge input we did a collab with our buddies at oxbow up in maine and uh they actually brought down 60 pounds of mesquite honey that we put into a uh, smoked bock that we made with them which is one of my favorite beers Um, but we'd never really put honey into a lager before so just getting different things and different ideas man that's that's one of my favorite things to do with people so it's it's a it's a cool thing to do and like I said, you learn from both sides either way. I recently made, uh, just happened to have the box sitting next to my oh, desk, nice. a, Look at that. Uh, um, a coffee liqueur with a local distillery, and we sweetened it with honey. Hell yeah. Beautiful. It, it turned out really good. Although, it turns out adding um, honey to a spirit is a real pain in the neck because... You have to uh, first heat up water um, and then pour the honey into it so that it dilutes it and then pour it into the spirit so that you can actually mix it enough that it doesn't just drop to the bottom. So it's a a labor of love. Yeah, (laughs) to the point where the distiller said, I'm never doing this again. (laughs) One and done. But, But the end product was amazing. Right. Uh, so what, um, when you do collaborations with, uh, with all those types of breweries, what types of styles do you typically stick to? It, it, it depends on, you know, who we're collabing with. And we, we always like to focus on loggers because that's our thing, right? So there's a number of breweries, you know, across the country and, and globally that we admire and respect and that make phenomenal lager. Um, so, you know, when we have friends up or, a number of friends up like we do at our Oktoberfest. Um, you know, ideas get going, people start drinking and talking beer and um, all <laughs> types of things pop up. So we, yeah. we really love to focus on, on loggers and collabing on loggers. Um, but, you know, like I said, I don't think we really shy away from anything, but I think when people are looking to collab with us, they also kind of have that in mind because that's what we do. Um, yep. 
Yeah, I think we've got Zach. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I mean we've been in talks with uh, with Tim from Oxbow, and I think they're even talking about doing a mix firm. So yes, Zach, you're absolutely right. We do tend to focus on loggers, but we don't we don't shy away from from other passion projects. It's and that goes to the creativity and the friendships that we've you know we've found ourselves in in the in the craft beer world. So it's just it's fun. Yeah, I mean, it's always fun to hang out with friends and uh, learn a little bit and sure drink a little bit of beer with each other while you're doing it. And honestly, you know, I think that it's one of the interesting components to our industry that that's very unique. Um, Sure, there's competition, but it's really collaborative. Um, People share ideas, recipe ideas, and they're not afraid to. And I love that. That's that's really unique. But I'm guessing um, people aren't hitting you up to brew the next forty percent um, f- fruit puree uh, <laughs> kettle sour. No, we we've not we've not gotten a request yet for that. <laughs> yeah, we're we're waiting on that one. Yeah. <laughs> um is your is your system even set up where you'd be able to? That's a question you'd, you'd have to ask our brewers because obviously we've we've made so many. I have no idea. Yeah, and I, it just I there's um I just know that like, there's so many breweries that their um their system was pretty purpose built. Yeah, and like if you go outside of what it was meant to brew, it becomes very difficult. Yeah, so our, ours was ours was custom built to make the loggers that that we want to make. Um, yeah. so I could imagine, well, we haven't done it and probably won't do it, but it, it I don't know, Stu, it could be pretty difficult. Yeah. Again, you're, you're, you're not talking to two brewers. Yeah. Um, so there's that caveat in there, but I mean, I'm pretty sure yeah. they, they do the few fruit puree on the cold side, but. Well, I meant like kettle souring and yeah. stuff. Like I don't want oh, to. Yeah. So, so we, we, we do have a, uh, our, our poppy's moonship, um, which is a traditional, um, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, the Leipziger style Goza. So that's a, that's a kettle soured, um, uh, tart okay. beer. So, yeah, so we do have, uh, we do have that. And that's, you know, one of the, one of the reasons we have that, that fifth vessel, not necessarily for that purpose alone. Um, but it, <laughs> you know, we're able to do some stuff like that, but again, that's not our forte. Yeah, the next time someone tells me that, I need to ask them like, what are the differences that like are restrictive? Because I I personally have no idea like how are how is a brew house set up that makes it super easy to do one thing but harder to do other styles. Yeah, I always kind of push um, our guys on styles, and they usually tell me to shut up or leave. So I uh, <laughs> usually do that, but um. I mean, even even lockers. Hey Zach, go make your go make your Instagram post yeah. and sell some beer. We'll yeah. make it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> get get off the floor. Um, but no, man. I, we you dropping them. Chris. That was the conversation <laughs> today. Yeah, and we'll leave <laughs> we, we we push them on logger styles too. And recently talking to to Sean down at Halfway Crooks, he was kind of pitching the idea on a collab on a on a Stein beer, which is something I really want to I want to see these guys do. And they're like, we are we'll we'll do it down there, but absolutely not up here. So we, uh, there, there's so many more um, styles in the log around that I think we can keep keep pushing the envelope on. There is a um, the it was like three or four local breweries, and I want to say it was for St. Patrick's Day. Got together and made a Stein beer. Nice. 
It was only like part of it. What part of the wart was made the traditional way, and then they mixed it in with uh, normally produced wart because they didn't want to have to make uh, ten or f- even probably five barrels of a beer heated off of stones. <laughs> I was going to say, how's the bottom of their uh, their boil kettle look? That sounds. Yeah, it was it was like I think a barrel is I think we used someone's homebrew kit to <laughs> like yeah. just do it was kind of like the the token thing where like some breweries will they'll say there's um like made with four leaf clover and they throw one clover into it. Right. And I know I don't care what they do. I was like I just want to take pictures of you guys putting the stones in. It's yeah. cool so do whatever you can. I need I need to look through my photos and find when we did that, I'll send them to you. Cause it was actually kind of cool. It was like, it, there was some dramatic, uh, <laughs> effects. Of, yeah. Send them over. And thankfully none of the stones exploded. Cause apparently that's a risk of, of doing that. So what does, um, what does 2022 hold in store for, for shilling beer company? 2022 is going to be a, an exciting year, uh, and I think it boils down to the fact that this year, com- coming out of COVID, dialing in systems, um, listening to the market, being true to ourselves, and the continuing to brew the beers that we love to make. So I'm excited to see um, a, a few more of the accounts able to actually get some beer. Uh, that's pretty exciting. Um I guess a, a lot of distributors, uh, uh, the, rather the few that we have, all say, "Yeah, most of our most of our portfolio don't know that we carry you because <laughs> you're pre-sold." <laughs> so, but no, I'm 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 excited. So, 2022 is really going to be a year of you know opening up that uh, that new kind of Americana concept um, in the new building for some uh, just a cool on, increase in our on-site experience. You know, we're really big on experience here. We want we want as many people as possible to come and have a have, have a logger on the shores of the Amanusic River and experience that that the 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 warmth of friends or coming down the hill the hill from a hike. Um, there's just there's just something about you know like go, going over to, to Munich and having a having a leader underneath a chestnut tree that just makes that beer taste that much better. And that's that's really what we we want in all of our beers and all of our all of our guest experience here. So that on-site thing is fun. In addition to increasing some of our production. Yeah. I mean, from the photos, it looks like it's absolutely beautiful there. Yeah. We got to get you up here, Chris. You don't get bored. I, I you, definitely you just don't to. get bored looking out your office window. The, the river looks different every single day. And when the, it actually gets so cold up here, the river freezes uh, and it's not a slow oh, wow. river. And uh, you have, you know, when the, when the ice break comes, it is, it is a force of nature. I mean, there's an island that's in the middle of the river that gets completely submerged. And uh, you're always worried crazy. that, you know, that hundred year old floodplain is going to, that, that it's going to, the river's going to break its record and it's going to come right in, but never does. So that's exciting. We're very fortunate to, to have a brewery and live in the area that we live in. My, um, my wife and I went to Canada in February, I think once, um, and we went to Prince Edward Island, and the ocean was frozen. That was wow. interesting. <laughs> That's cold. It's a little more north yeah. than us, but... <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but like we we went. I also got pulled over going across that huge bridge that gets you oh, into boy. Prince Edward Island. <laughs> Just told them I didn't understand the metric system, and they let me go. Nice. Um, but like we we drove to we drove to the beach. And it was just crazy, like looking out at the ocean and it being frozen solid. That's um, what what is your distribution footprint? So we a majority is is New England. Um, so we do, you know, obviously New Hampshire. We always take care of our home state, Vermont. We're right on the border of. We really consider Vermont a home state as well because we really kind of flirt the line of of New Hampshire and Vermont, but Maine. Uh, Massachusetts and a, a small bit of Rhode Island, um, a, a very small amount you'll see in, in Virginia and D.C. Um, whenever we can get beer down there. And then we try and get a little bit of beer um, back to Michigan. Like Stu touched on before, his brother Matt is over there um, and has, you know, seven monks in, in Traverse City and Grand Rapids. And we do whatever we can to, to get them some beer and, and show some love to the, the home state of the boys. So. Um, you'll find our beer, but but we're we're pretty small brewery, man. Still, but even for 2022, like you were saying, you keep keep your eye out for some more collabs um, with some friends, and if we can get you up here, uh, maybe even Oktoberfest would be a good aim. We do that the end of September, and that's you know usually can be anywhere from a multiple day thing, but we we host a big festival with a lot of our friends and a lot of the beers that that we love to drink. So if you can, man, get get up here for that or try and make plans. You uh, you stole my next question. Oh, um, <laughs> it, it was uh, you, like you mentioned your Oktoberfest, um, and it's on brand for you to have a large Oktoberfest. So I'm just going to ask you to, to tell us a little bit about what uh, your Oktoberfest celebration is like. Yeah, absolutely. So it definitely stems from tradition um, and friends and family and coming down. And um, I know we've talked about John. We, you know, as a team, John really curates a big list of shilling beers and kind of sets aside certain beers that we really want to showcase across Oktoberfest. And then this past year, we had 18 breweries up um, and a number of food vendors that are just friends of ours and really hosted a, a beer festival and a huge kind of foodie beer day for all types of people to come down and drink lagers on the river and hang out with family and friends and just indulge and, and have a great time. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll be looking to do something like that again next year for sure. Uh, is it always the same weekend every year? Like, do you have the dates for it already set? Yeah. So it's the, it's the last Saturday in September, um, at least for okay. the, the, the main festival. Um, and yeah, it's a, uh, come on by and you'll get to see uh, a few of us in later Hosen. <laughs> maybe that's I mean, a reason that's to stay home right i don't to... know yeah Stu, Stu <laughs> was, actually he, he i think he hid that one in my contract i was like still i'm not wearing leader hosen he's like well zach <laughs> if we check your pd you know i was like shit yeah. I am wearing leader hosen. Yeah. It, it turns out you've agreed to that already zach it's understanding yeah. Forms. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, it was fun it was a lot of fun so it'll be uh september 24th yeah i guess it will I'm just going to go ahead and put that on my calendar now Done. to try to make that something I do in September. Sweet. That way my wife doesn't claim that day for something else. <laughs> <laughs> like, sorry, hon. It was on the calendar. Yeah. <laughs> if No, I, I, I laugh because it's so true, Chris. If it doesn't go on the yeah. calendar, that the weekend is up for grabs from Mrs. 
Well, it was like there was stuff I had to do this afternoon, and um, like I, I mentioned it to my wife. She's like, "Well, you didn't have it on the calendar." I'm like, "Well, it was during my work day. <laughs> I didn't think I, I didn't think I needed to carve out like time to leave the house on a day I'm working. I should be working." <laughs> but apparently, apparently, I need to do that too. Yeah. So, yes, we we live uh, by the calendar. <laughs> So it's the Schilling Oktoberfest is officially entered for September twenty fourth. Nice. How um how large of an event is that typically? It depends. Uh, Stu, you can kind of touch on past years, but this this most recent one, I want to say we had about five to six hundred people. Um, you know, it was limited, and we wanted to keep it kind of safe and friendly for everyone. It's it's kind of weird yeah. with COVID. You never know. We we keep everything outdoors, so people can be pretty spread out. Um. But, you know, surprisingly, it was it was super comfortable. There weren't any crazy packed lines. And we try and avoid that stuff just for overall experience. So everyone's having a good time, too. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens this year. Um, we have a little more room to do things. And we have a little space across the river as well. So we're playing around with a couple different ideas. Yeah, it changes every every year. It changes. We're always trying to. You know, take into account the the environment of the and the times uh, that we're in. Obviously, Zach touched on COVID, yeah. um, but also kind of taking into account you know what kind of experience could be better for the guest. And so it's it has come in a lot of different iterations, um, but some of those constants are that last Saturday in September. It's also our anniversary, so that's that's when we opened in 2013. It was the last Saturday in September. So next year will be uh, our ninth birthday. Then that was going to be my next question. Yep. You're just like uh, <laughs> uh, telepathy or something. I was going to I was going to ask, does it coincide at all anywhere near your anniversary? But the, <laughs> I guess that was you picked the perfect time to uh, open so that you could. Was that purposeful? No. Or was that just how it? The, we wanted to open in the in the beginning of summer, but as anyone who's okay. built out anything, it always t- costs more money and takes longer yeah. than you expect. Yeah, good, at least a good six months. Typically. I mean, we planned it exactly like that. Yeah, I mean, like I guess though now it it works out perfectly. It does. And I I do I love this newer trend of breweries turning their anniversary parties into festivals, and like just like celebrating the um, community as a whole along with themselves. Yeah, it's a it's a neat thing for us because. You know, Oktoberfest in the past, it's always, we love to showcase, you know, our, our beers and, and make sure we have a wide range of shilling beers on. But, you know, that we've always featured a few guest taps or some guest beers. And for us, it's really being able to bring beers that we love and breweries we really admire to New Hampshire and, and bring a great festival to the town of Littleton that, you know, not a lot of people have access to beers in California and Georgia and smaller breweries that we love that don't really distribute. So for us to be able to showcase some of their beer as well is just an honor for us. Yeah, it really is like a like a birthday party. It's like y- you want to invite your friends and you want to you want a reason to celebrate. And I think that that's something that, you know, whether it's I mean, pick your industry or business. But uh, I think that there's not enough celebration in people's lives and they need to pause and, you know, take time to appreciate life and appreciate what we're doing. And if you're not having fun, why are you doing it? Um, yeah, it's it, again, all likelihood. I never would have met you guys. 
if it wasn't for right? a beer festival. True. So I I love that uh, breweries are putting on their own festivals, inviting friends to hang out. So it's it's a special thing. It is a, a trend that I hope does not go away. Um, I, th- I think I have covered everything I had to ask. Is there anything we didn't go over that you guys want to tell everyone about with Schilling? Um, I, I, I don't know. I think we, I think we covered quite a bit. I just want to give a huge thank you to you, Chris, for having us on, man. We, we love hanging out and chatting and hope to see you in person next time. And like I said, get you up, get you up here for some, for some loggers on the river. Heck yeah. I had, I haven't been up in that area for quite some time. So I need to, I need to make another trip. No. So I, I love anytime I've been anywhere in the new England area any of those states i've had an amazing time no man it's uh, it's it's time for you to come up and we'd love to we'd love to return the favor and show you a good time and you know uh have that arm wrestling match and uh oh yeah we do have to fight over we that. really do and, <laughs> and maybe some modernism on the side pole and uh, yeah. be, be a lot of fun man we're just uh yeah we're, we're just thrilled to be doing what we're doing and uh, we look forward to content uh, we look forward to being who we are um now in the future and creating the beers we love to drink and sharing them with uh with friends and with guests uh, super excited man oh i looking f- i look forward to continuing to ignore all the amazing ipas and fruited sours that are around me and drinking shilling lagers at festivals <laughs> you, gotta get, you gotta get your later hosen for next for next fest all right i i don't know I don't. I just don't know how that would work. I said the same thing. You'll, you'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I I enjoy talking to you as much as I enjoy your beers. So mm-hmm. I appreciate it, and uh, thank you everyone for listening. Cheers. Thank you, thank Chris. Bros. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.